I love uh, energy drinks. And uh, the Monster is my favorite. And actually, the low-carb Monster is, is the one that I, every morning when I get up, I, I got a routine. I hit the hot tub. Uh, and I think starting with a hot tub and this is a great way to start your day. And then you follow it up with some espresso and things are, things are good. But uh, what I want to look at today is I want to look at a monster. And I think it's a monster that many people wake up with, and it's not a good way to start your day. It's, instead of energizing your life like this drink promises to do, this monster kind of skews your vision, kind of depletes the batteries, kind of knocks you down, and ultimately, I'm convinced, will steal your life. I don't know if you remember going to Carnival, but uh, remember the Fun House? Fun House had all the wavy mirrors in it, and you would look at your image in it, and it was very distorted. It was kind of twisted. It'd make you shorter and, and heavier. It'd make you really thin and, and tall. And at times, it would almost make you look like a monster because it's distorted. That's, that's what it's supposed to be. It's not a perfect mirror. In fact, it's an imperfect mirror, and it's not giving you a true reflection. Well, when you were growing up, I'm convinced that the adults around you and some of your peers, they were like mirrors in your life. And they would reflect back to you how you began to see yourself. And the problem with this is those individuals were not perfect. They, in fact, as a result of all those images that people gave you, even from people that loved you, they were a little bit distorted, a little bit skewed. And so you grew up with this kind of inaccurate picture of ourselves. You know, someone tells you something as a child or as a kid, and, uh, you know, it might have been your parents, might have been a sibling, might be a peer, maybe a classmate or a neighbor, but it is like a monster being created. You know, there are four different kinds of uh, monsters on the market, and... Uh, one of them is called chaos. Now, the idea of these is to kind of strengthen you up and energize you. But chaos, what happens in our lives is we start to drink in what people say about us, like, you're a fool. Hmm, I'm a fool. You know... You're never going to amount to anything. And we take a drink. I'm never going to amount to anything. You're an idiot. You're a failure. Mm. Man, I'm an idiot. And I'm really a failure. And friends, whatever we drink in, causes serious chaos in our lives. It messes us up. You know, some of you remember things that were said about you 20 years ago or 30 years ago, 
And, and you think uh, about it and you think, you know, adults told me that. It must be true. And, and we tend to believe it whether it was right or wrong. We tend to believe it whether it was said in anger, whether it was said in jest. You know, and sometimes it was even said in hurtfulness and hopes of breaking us down. And what we do is we drink it in. And we internalize it. And we put it into our memory bank. And for many, you've operated on that for years and years and years. It's false, but you bought into it. You know, Proverbs 23, 7, it says... That as a man and woman thinks in their heart, so they become. So what we think is what we get. I mean, if you see yourself as a loser, guess what? You'll become a loser. You see yourself as a victim, you become a victim. You see yourself as a failure, and all of a sudden you begin to fail because what you see, what you think, what you believe... Is what you get. You know, and the Bible says that our, our beliefs are determined by our behavior. They're closely connected. And, and so a, a lot of stuff that people believe about themselves, it's just false. It's not true. And, and so we're acting on this false, inaccurate, incorrect information. And friends, when you begin to pursue a relationship with Jesus Christ, you begin to have a relationship with God, a personal relationship, what you're going to find is you begin to see things more clearly. You begin to see as God sees. You begin to see you as God sees you. You know, Matthew 6.22 says, Your eyes are windows into your body. If you open your eyes wide, in wonder and belief, your body fills up with light. What's that saying? I mean, Jesus isn't talking about physically, physically seen with the eyes. Uh, he's not talking about actual light. Jesus is talking about spiritual insight. He's talking about seeing with new eyes, seeing with God's eyes. You know, the Apostle Paul called it seeing with the eyes of your heart. The song we sang earlier, Open the Eyes of My Heart, Lord. Is based on that scripture that, that Paul says we need to see things from God's perspective. You know, Ephesians 1, 18 and 19 says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his in, incomparably great power for us who believe. What are you drinking in? Now, I'm going to show you the big dog. This is the most loaded energy drink on the market. It's the, the big dog of, of the monster family. It's energy plus. It's a cool can, kind of a camo. And what's interesting is on the back of it, it says, declare war on the ordinary. And today what I want to do is declare war. Full out assault. That's what this is called, assault. And to declare an assault on the monster, 
that I think captivates many of our lives. Help us begin to see from God's viewpoint. And today, I believe, for some, may be the most important service you've ever been in. Because it has the possibility, this message has the possibility to change your life. To allow God to transform you, to see yourself different. And so today as we we declare war, you know, Jesus said, you will know the truth and what? Truth will set you free. You know, in other words, understanding the truth can make all the difference in the world. There there are several things that God says to you because of, of grace. If you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you've accepted that grace that he offers. And God says, you know what? I see you very different than you see yourself. And that's my prayer, not only that we see God, but that you begin to see yourself as God sees you. I mean, how does God see you? Well, Titus, the third chapter says, Jesus treats us much better than we deserve. He made us acceptable to God and gave us the hope of eternal life. If you're going to assault the monster in your life, the first thing that you've got to drink in is God sees you as acceptable. Mm. That's good. God sees you as acceptable in your life. You know, I believe the number one hurt, bar none, is rejection. You know, when you're rejected, whether it be by a parent or a spouse or a friend, you know, maybe a teacher, maybe a pastor, it hurts. I mean, it just gets you in, in the gut. And as a result, what we do is we spend most of our life trying to avoid the very thing that hurts us. We try and avoid the rejection. You know, we want acceptance more than anything. You know, we want it from our parents. We want it from a peer, from a neighbor, from people we respect. And get this, and people we don't even know are like, what's that about? I mean, we buy things with money that we don't have to impress people we don't even know. And why? Why is it? Well, because the power to be accepted, friends, is profound. It grips a heart. It drives you. It drives almost everything that you do as an individual. It drives the kind of clothes that you wear, the the cars that you drive, the houses that you buy. Even the careers people pick, many times it's about being accepted. You know, so many decisions in our life are, are dictated by it, this desire to be approved of, to be acceptable. And people do the craziest things to be accepted. I mean, you remember when you were a kid? You know, how many of you, someone would dare you to do something? I dare you to... And what'd you do? You did it. You did dumb things as kids. Because you wanted to be accepted in the crowd. You wanted people to see you as cool or or strong or whatever. And and so we did stupid stuff. I mean, just off the charts. And there's kind of this myth when it comes to being accepted. that We think that if we can be perfect, we can be accepted. You know, if I'm perfect, then people will accept me. And so what we do is we put on a mask. 
And we pretend, we walk around like we got it all together. Everything's cool, everything's fine, we're perfect, you know. And we think everyone's going to accept us because of that. But there's three things. One, nobody believes you. In fact, turn to your neighbor and just say, nobody believes you. (laughs) Some of you have been wanting to say that to the person sitting next to you for years. Someone goes, man, I feel rejected. You know. Here's the second thing. You're never going to be perfect. All right? Sorry to crush your bubble, but you're never going to be perfect. And here's the third thing. Even if you could be perfect, some people still aren't going to accept you. Because acceptance, get this, acceptance is not based on how perfect you are. It's not. It's based on the other person's maturity and love. You know, the Bible says that Jesus was perfect. Where'd that get him? I mean, he was despised. He was rejected. He got ran out of town on numerous occasions. And ultimately, they said, you know what? Let's just nail him to a cross and be done with it. You know, that's where it got him. So so even if you were perfect, it's not going to work. You know, I figured out a long time ago, about the time you get crowd A to say, oh, I accept that, crowd B goes, what are you doing? You know, it's just the way it is. You can't please everyone. Some of you grew up with unpleasable parents. You couldn't get their approval. You wanted it. You know, you you saw it in their eyes that no matter how hard you tried, that you just didn't do it right. And you always felt a little bit of shame, uh, like you didn't quite measure up. And some of you today are still striving to get that parent's approval. You know, I'm going to prove I'm worth something. And what's amazing is some of you, mom and dad, have been gone for years. And you're still trying. You know, I've watched this drive people to become workaholics, perfectionists. And there are really a couple truths that you've got to latch on to. One, and hear this one. If you didn't get your parents' approval growing up, you're probably never going to get it. Never. You know why? Because it's not about you. It's not about you. It's about them. You know, it's, it's their struggle for acceptance. It's their struggle for self-worth. And it, what it does is it causes them not to accept you. And the second thing is, and this is really important, you do not need someone's approval, whether it be a parent or a friend or whatever. You do not need their approval to be happy. You don't. You really don't. There are over 6 billion people in this world. So what if two people or five people don't like you? Think about that. You know, and especially if it's their hang-up. You know, stop trying to be a people pleaser. Start living for God, a God that says, I accept you. I accept you. There's a second thing. I I think if we're going to assault this monster, you've got to drink this in. Mm. 
God sees you as valuable. You're worth a lot. Scripture says this, look at the birds. They they don't need to plant or harvest or put food in the barns because God feeds them and you are far more valuable to him than any birds. Incredible scripture. You know, God says, you're more valuable. You know, you're more valuable than, than everything. You're more valuable than an itty-bitty, teeny-weeny little bird. And God's going to take care of you. I mean, if he takes care of them, he's surely going to take care of you because of your value. I mean, how much do you think you're worth? Think about that for a minute. How much do you think you're worth? Now, I'm not talking net worth. I'm talking self-worth. You know, what is it that determines value? There, there are two things. One is, who owns it? Who owns it? The owner, the owner creates value. In other words, if someone famous uh, owns something, they can own something very, very common, but it can be worth a lot of money. In fact, there are auctions all over the Internet of things that stars and famous people have owned that they're selling. You know, let me ask you this. Whose tennis shoes are worth more? Yours or LeBron James's? Who? That's right. You know, whose car's worth more money? Your car or Elvis Presley's car? <laughs> you know, there's no question. You know, LJ and EP, they get it. You know, they're on top. So who owns something determines value, and your value is determined by who you belong to. And if you're a Christian today, you belong to the creator of this universe, the God that created everything. And friends, it doesn't get any bigger than that. I mean, that's huge. God determined your value Second thing that determines your value is what someone's willing to pay. What's your house worth? Well, it's not what you think it is worth. It's what someone's willing to pay for it. You know, market determines value in life. You know, a while back there was a famous oil sheik. He was actually a king. And his daughter was kidnapped. And... uh, on the internet, he sent out a note that said he would pay any price to get her back. Any price. It was the king's daughter. And friends, what I want to tell you is you belong to the king of kings and the Lord of lords. The, the God of this universe said, you know what? I will pay the highest price, include Sending my son to die on the cross. That's how much you're worth. You know, 1 Corinthians 7, 23 says, You have been bought and paid for by Christ through his death, so you belong to him. So you belong to him. That's how valuable you are. There's another thing I think we have to drink in, and it's this. You're lovable. You're lovable. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. I mean, talk about love. 
It doesn't say, for God so loved the beautiful people, God so loved the highly intelligent, creative people, God so loved the religious people. It says, he loved the world. That means you and me and everyone in it. That's the kind of love that God has. You know, Isaiah 54, it says, the mountains and hills may crumble, but my love for you is never ending. So says the Lord, your God, who loves you. You know, there are a couple characteristics about God's love. One is, God's love is consistent. It's consistent. You can count on it. You can take it to the bank, and it's unconditional. You know, God, God doesn't look around and go, well, I love you if, I love you because, and here are the conditions. No, God just says, I love you. I love you. You never have to wonder if God's going to love you. You know, God is consistent in his love. He has unconditional love. And you know why that's important? Because when you get in trouble in life, it's because you doubt God's love. You doubt God's love. When, when you're in trouble and you're struggling and you doubt God's love, you start thinking that God doesn't have your best interest at heart. You know, the Bible's full of advice from God. And I'm always amazed. You sit and you go, right here, God says this. And, and people will go, you know what, I don't know if I buy that. And they go do their own thing. And then botch their life up and mess themselves up. And it's because they don't really believe that God has their best interest at heart, that God wants them to be successful and healthy and happy in their lives. And so what we do is we ignore God, thinking that we know better because we doubt that God loves us enough to, to help us. You know, I also think that we have to drink this one in. This one's huge. This one's huge. You're forgivable. Mm, you're forgivable. I mean, this one is easy to blow by. Uh, to get a real grasp on it, Ephesians 1.4. It says, even before the world was made, God chose you for himself because of his love. He planned that we should be holy and without blame as he sees us. You know, before God made you, he knew everything you were going to do in your life. He knew all the mistakes you were going to make. He knew all the sins that you were going to have. He knew the worst of the worst of the worst. You know, God isn't sitting in heaven and he looks down watching your life and at some point he goes, boy, I didn't see that one coming. No, he already knew. God saw it in advance and he said, I'm willing to forgive you. I'm willing to forgive that. The fact is, God saw you and said, I'm willing to forgive you. I'm willing to forgive you. The, the, that, to me, that concept is amazing. The, the day that I gave my life to Jesus Christ, the day you did, he said, you know what? I'm going to wash away those sins. I'm going to erase them. And I think we have a, a really tough time believing that and accepting that in, in our lives. You know, somehow we got to get it in our brain that when we screw up, when we mess up, God isn't angry with you. God's not going, hmm, I'm going to get even with them. You know, because 
sometimes we have negative things happen in our life. You know, you know how this goes, right? I mean, like I'm at McDonald's, and I order a hamburger, and I get to the table, and I take a bite out of my hamburger, and there's no meat on it. And I'm thinking, oh, no, I must have done something wrong. God's punishing me. You know, and the problem is the vegetarian across the way, he takes a bite of his burger, and it's got a hamburger in it. He's going, I must have done something wrong. You know, he's just struggling, just struggling. Those things aren't connected. Isaiah 43, verse 25, says this, I am the God who forgives your sins. I do this because of who I am. I will not hold your sins against you. God doesn't carry grudges. You may carry grudges. I may carry grudges. Not that that's okay, but we might do that. But God doesn't. God's not sitting in heaven with his TiVo rehearsing our sins, going over and going, did you see this? Hey, check this out, Gabriel. Look what this guy's up to, you know. That's not God. I think most people have this picture of when we die that we're going to get to heaven and there's going to be this long line of people waiting to get in the pearly gates and and so we're in line. Man, I hope I get in. And we take these little bitty, oh boy, I hope I get in. Man, I'm hoping. Oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. Uh, You know, and that that, what's going to happen is when we finally get up there, we'll find out if we're in or out, right? Isn't that what, I mean, that's the vision that many people have. And what I want to say to you is the moment you gave your life to Jesus Christ, you got a fast pass. In other words, you're not going to have to stand in line. You're never going to face the judgment. Hear this. You're never going to face a judgment to determine whether you're in or out. It has been settled and you're in. Now, we'll give an account of our lives. That's something a whole different, but that's not an in and out thing. You see, we're forgivable. And one more thing. You've got to drink this in if you're going to destroy the monster. You are capable. You are capable. 2 Corinthians 3, 5, and 6 says, The capacity that we have comes from God. It is He who made us capable of serving the new covenant. See, I believe there's an epidemic of low self-esteem in the U.S., and people people are struggling with this in America. I mean, the, the fact is that no matter how successful people are in the heart of hearts there's like this gnawing sense of insecurity and one of the reasons i believe is because we keep replaying that hard drive in our mind of what people said a long time ago what other people are saying about us and for some of you that's been going on for 20 or 30 years and it's been derailing your life you know studies have shown that the younger that you are when you're rejected, the the more the impact is in life. And for some, I know it it was a curse. You know, you heard the kind of things, you don't matter, you're a failure, you're never going to amount to anything, you can't do anything right. What a loser. Just off the chart stuff. 
And when I talk to people, sometimes I, I can tell they've just been beaten down by this stuff, and they'll finally come to a point, and they'll go, how do I, how do I break it? You know, how, how do I release that kind of venom? And friends, you don't do it by focusing on that stuff. You don't do it by thinking about all that negative stuff all the time. You don't even do it by thinking, you know what, I'm going to prove something to them. I'm going to prove that they were wrong. Because, see, you're still focusing on the negative. You do it by building your life, not on the negative, but on the positive. You do it by beginning to focus on truth. To begin, you start with an affirming truth, a believing God that says, you are off the charts great. You know, I don't care what anybody else says about you. I don't care what you think about yourself. I care about what God says about you. And God says, you know what? You're capable. I created you for a purpose. I created you on purpose for that purpose. You know, and there's a couple of reasons why I believe as Christians we are more than capable. You are, you're capable in your life because, one, God gave you his word. You know, the, the Bible for, for insight and guidance in your life. Second Timothy says this, using scripture, the person who serves God will be capable of having all that is needed to do every good work. The, the Bible's there to help us live the kind of lives that God wants us to live. God makes it possible. You hear me talk about reaching your full potential in God, your God-given potential. But not only does God give us his word, God also gives us himself to make us capable. Our whole last series, The Gap, is about the Holy Spirit helping us to grow and to, to change. And we talked about the fact that God gives us his strength. God gives us his abilities. God gives us his insights to help us be the kind of people he created us to be. God's willing to get involved in your life. Philippians 4.13 says this, I have strength for all things, Paul says, in Christ who empowers me. I'm ready for anything and equal to anything through him who infuses energy, infuses inner strength in me. Could be energy. (laughs) That is, I am self-sufficient. Through Christ's sufficiency. Paul says, you know what? I can, through God, do whatever I need to do. Psychologists say that our self-worth, our self-concept, the way that we see ourselves is largely determined by what you think the most important person in your life thinks about you. And if that's true, and I believe that's true, If that's true, I want to recommend to you that you make God the most important person in your life because God says you are acceptable, you are valuable, you are forgivable, you are lovable, you are capable, and it makes all the difference in the world. I had a professor when I was working on my doctorate, uh, Fred Craddock, uh, came in and taught a session, and Fred was a great storyteller, and he told a story about one time he was in Tennessee on vacation with his wife, and he said he was at a little diner, and they were kicked back, and they were eating, and this elderly man came up to him, and he goes, you folks on vacation? And uh, he's, Fred said, yeah, we're having a great time. And so the guy said, uh, 
asking a few other questions, and finally he goes, what do you do for a living? Now, Fred said, I'll be honest with you. I wanted the guy to leave, and so I said, I'm a preacher. <laughs> that, that works, by the way. Uh, you want to scatter a crowd quick, you know. I'm a preacher. He said, the guy goes, oh, really? I got a preacher story to tell you. And he said he grabbed a chair and sat down at their table. <laughs> and uh, so this guy begins to, to tell, tell his story. And uh, he said to him, he said, you know, I was born an illegitimate child. He said, I never knew my father. And he said, it was really hard. And he said, the kids at school made fun of me and, and called me names. He said, when I walked around town, I always felt like people were like staring at me. They, they were asking the terrible question, wonder who his father is. And he said, growing up, he didn't have very many friends. He said, one day, there was a new pastor in town, and everyone talked about how good that new pastor was. And he said, I'd never been to church, and I thought, I'll try it. And he said, I went, and he, he was good. And he said, I kept going, kept going to church, and he talked about that he would always arrive late and leave early so he wouldn't have to talk to anybody. He said one Sunday he got caught up listening to the pastor and he forgot to leave early and everyone stood up and he couldn't get to the door quick enough. And he said he just panicked inside and he said he felt a hand on his shoulder. And when he turned around, it was the pastor. And the pastor goes, what's your name? Whose son are you? And he said when he heard that, he said he just started to shake. And he said that pastor looked at him before he could answer. He said, I know who your family is. You have a distinct family resemblance. You're a child of God. And he said, those words changed my life. He said the guy got up and walked away from the table. He said a few minutes later, the waitress strolled over, and she said, do you know who that was? Fred said, I don't have any idea. She said, that's Ben Hopper, two-term governor of this great state of Tennessee. Friends, that guy, Ben understood that he was a child of God and it changed his life. All the depression, all, all the cuts, all the hurt, all the rejection, all that stuff that he had gone through in his life, I mean, it was eliminated. He eliminated that monster when he understood one powerful truth, that he was a son of God. Friends, when you grasp that you're a son or daughter of God, that you're a child of God, it changes everything. I mean, no longer were people able to diminish his sense of dignity because he knew he was a child of God. I, I would challenge you to go home this week, get a, get a three-by-five card or piece of paper, and just write on that, I am acceptable. I am valuable. I am lovable. I am forgivable. I am capable. And put it somewhere where you see it every single day and embed that in your mind. It could have a huge, huge impact on your life. 
I mean, who are you going to believe? God? Or those wavy mirrors in the funhouse? God? Or that imperfect person? Now here's the monster question for you. Who are you going to live for? The approval of others? Or the approval of God? Life can turn on a dime. God, people. God, people. Here's what I got to say to you. The darkest times in my life, I figured out what people had to say didn't matter. What God has to say means everything. Well, let's bow in a word of prayer. God, we praise you. You have created fearfully and wonderfully. And God, I pray that we would just drink it in. That for the rest of our lives, we'd see ourselves as fearfully, wonderfully made. That we'd see ourselves the way that you see us. And God, I pray that you just unshackle some people. They've been carrying around a weight their whole life. God, that you would through your spirit, let them know all that negativity, all those lies, all those things that just weren't true. God, give them the power to see that what people say is not what matters. God, I pray that you'd help us all to see as you see us. God, help us to live the life that you created for us. Live it to our full potential. Help us just to push that monster out. It's in Christ's holy name we pray. Amen.